0: My name is um, Mesulame Atukanrehu, uh, it's quite long, but yeah.
1: When Mezulame came to Australia, he didn't know anyone. Mezulame left his home in Fiji and hopped on a plane, with the hope of securing a better future for his wife and soon-to-be-born son.
0: I live originally in the area of Pacific Harbor, just like um, five kilometres away from Pacific Harbor.
1: He's one of hundreds who have moved to Australia under the country's New Pacific Labor Scheme. It's a scheme that helps those from the Pacific earn an income and send remittances home to support their families and communities. The scheme is one of two ways Pacific Islanders can live and work in Australia. But experts are calling for permanent pathways to residency as islands like Fiji experience the effects of climate change. Effects Mazulame has noticed in his hometown.
0: But back at home, um, where I live, I live really close to the to the beach um, and to the, the um, river side of it. It's like the water, especially in the beach, it's really rising up really quickly, and that's something that is really affecting other people. Uh, the families around, or the villages uh, that live nearby the, the sea, the whole village have to like relocate because of the rising of the sea level.
1: In this episode of Think Sustainability, Is Australia doing its best to care for our Pacific neighbours as they confront the effects of a changing climate? And how can we improve current labour programs and pathways? I'm Julia Karkatzel.
2: I speak to people about climate change all the time and it's very hard as an Australian to be talking about climate change in the Pacific because, you know, the the reality is that the, the best fix to climate change is for it to not happen. And that uh, that doesn't come with adaptation programs, that comes with mitigation programs and domestic policies in Australia that, you know, we've been pretty lagged on, uh, to put it politely. This is Jonathan Pryke. I am director of the Pacific Islands program at the Lowy Institute. We are an international affairs think tank based in Sydney.
1: Jonathan has spent the better part of his career working and living in the Pacific. He spent most of it in the most populous sub-region and the closest to Australia, Melanesia.
2: That's Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, New Caledonia, Fiji. The best part of my job, frankly, is getting to go to these these countries and to interact with people from all parts of the spectrum of life. But also the, the thing that really attracts me to the region is this veneer of of beauty and paradise, really covers a lot of really significant challenges that Pacific peoples are facing. Uh, you know, these are remote countries that are you know, small economies and very far away from other major economies. Uh, they have severe development um, challenges and Australia has a really important role to play in helping them achieve their development ambitions.
1: Remittances, money sent back to a country to help its struggling economy, are one way of doing that. And this kind of mobility for work and economic opportunities is common.
2: This is a you know a, a big component of uh, the economic economies of many developing nations. The most the classic one is the Philippines, where you know Philippine nurses and carers and maids and what have you work all throughout Asia and the Middle East, and they create have created a huge economic windfall for, for the, um, their, their families and the economy of the Philippines. But it happens in the Pacific as well. You know Samoa, Tonga. Uh, Vanuatu, a lot of people come to Australia and New Zealand on, on temporary seasonal worker programs. Uh, and, you know, it's, a, again, a great economic windfall.
1: Mezalame says his motivation for moving to Australia was family.
0: For me personally, I did it for my um, little ones coming up in the new future that they might have a better future, a promising future, knowing the fact that they'll be able to have um, proper um, learning, have a proper home.
1: Around the world, disasters and climate change have prompted millions of people to move. The Asia-Pacific region has been the hardest hit by these disasters. Between 2008 and 2018, the Pacific region saw more than 80% of new disaster displacement.
2: You know, they're not going to get washed away by a rising tide. Uh, It's before these these, uh, islands disappear they're going to become unlivable because the water tables will become salinated, you can't grow fresh produce. Already these communities are being stretched, already they have limited access to resources and these resources are going to even further diminish as climate change makes some uh, environments untenable.
1: As Pacific islands are hit by sea level rise, warming temperatures and other disasters, many experts like Jonathan fear that short-term labour schemes like the Pacific Labour Scheme won't be enough to support these communities.
2: Planned relocation is identifying potential displacement in, in certain communities, so be it like, you know, seawater rise or, or um, adverse um, natural disasters or, you know, a, some form of conflict are coming on the horizon and being proactive about helping these people migrate with dignity. You know, people are robbed of their agency when they're displaced uh, and this is what leads people to becoming refugees.
1: The Pacific Labour Scheme only started in 2018, following a successful pilot program in Northern Australia. It builds on the success of the Seasonal Worker Program.
2: Which you know, started in 2007, but has really been gaining steam in the last seven years. Uh, whereby Pacific Islanders can come to Australia for a period of three to six months to work on, uh, in horticulture and agriculture industries, largely picking fruit. And so now this scheme, uh, to date, there's been more than 35,000 Pacific Islanders who have come through this scheme. I
0: found out the Pacific Labor Scheme um, via the Fiji news, that the Fijian government and the Australian government have um, both agreed to um, help each other with um, the employment of the Fijian people.
1: The Pacific Labor Scheme helps to address workforce shortages in rural and regional Australia
0: to help out with the Australian government in um, trying to maintain the production level within its certain uh, industries.
1: But Mezulame says it's not easy work. I've just
0: um, barely had my firstborn a couple of months ago, just like three months ago, baby boy. And uh, yeah, just my missus uh, with, with my baby boy back at home. Yeah, so it's kind of hard. It's kind of, like to be honest, it's really, really hard. Um the fact not being able to actually see the firstborn child was like he cannot like even hold it.
1: The work Mezulame does in Australia is nothing like the work he did in Fiji where he was in construction. Now his days are spent in an abattoir.
0: It has his days of the fact that sometimes it can be long but sometimes it can be very fulfilling too.
1: Mesulame works 5 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day at a meat processing facility in Sydney. Workers can process up to 4,000 sheep per day.
0: I am hearing that they are about to uh, increase the production rate from 4200 to, to actually like 5 or 6,000. 6,
2: from your families for two to three years is a major ask for Pacific communities who are really tightly, uh, your family is a really tight nucleus. Working in Meatworks is not exactly the most uh, salubrious job. It's, um, it's a tough one and mentally, can be mentally taxing. Having your family with you can, you know, help both the family but also the worker uh, in these tough conditions.
1: Mezulame says his employer can be unforgiving when he requests time off work.
2: If
0: it's really an emergency that uh, you're not feeling well, the employer thinks that you're making up things. or If you have uh, something that you really want to do or like errands to run, um, it's really hard um, for them to actually um, let you go and do that thing when you want to apply for a day off or your leave. That is just something that I find it very quite handling, um, to be honest.
1: He says that many workers feel they cannot speak up about their rights, as they fear they will be easily replaced.
0: I'm hearing things of the fact that if you guys are not going to perform well, it's it's not really a big deal because um, there's like a lot of other people coming over from, from Fiji and stuff like that. It's not easy to accept those kind of information when you're giving in your all for the company and for the, uh, the thing that you're doing in right here. And when you hear comments like that, it's not really helpful.
1: Many workers are paid the minimum wage, which is then spent on rent and other living costs, limiting the amount of funds workers can send back home.
0: The work that we're doing is not just normal labour job. It's more than labour job. We're actually doing the skilled labour. We're actually doing the work that other Australian blokes are being paid at the trade level at what they're doing. Our rate will never, will not going to go up regardless of our performance if we do well and everything like that which is um quite alarm- alarming to be honest with you we thought when coming back coming from home we thought 19 dollars something 80 something cents was a very big money but then coming to reality oh it doesn't even like add up to living out in here in a week.
3: Like you know, how how difficult is it um, to really help people to understand what this scheme actually is? You know, um, you know, if he's saying that you know he had no idea that that all of these things will be deducted after his, I mean, after you know working x number of hours, would he really have said yes to it? Would he really have said yes to you know coming away from his family? You know, would he have said yes to sending, you know, $50 back to his,
1: his wife and to support his child? This is Amanda.
3: My name is Amanda Moores um, and I am a Programme Manager for Educational Access Schemes and Equity Pathways at UTS.
1: Growing up in Samoa and New Zealand has informed Amanda's practice today.
3: Samoa definitely, you know, continues to experience those, you know, un- unpredictable weather patterns, say, eh? increasing temperatures, um, rainfall, you know, increasing rainfall and and more frequent kind of dry spells, that sort of stuff. And of course, rising sea levels. So my father still lives in Samoa. and 70% of Samoans live on the coast. And three out of the five of my ancestral villages, you know, are literally on the beach. <laughs> so, you know, fanga whanga malo in Sava'i and umu in Upolu. So, you know, this stuff is, it's happening now. It's very, very real to Pacific
1: people. Amanda is concerned that the Pacific Labor Scheme fails to adequately protect workers.
3: I mean, I would really question, like, how those conversations are being had and, Who, you know, how much information people are really kind of um, understanding before they sign that dotted line, you know, to say, yeah, I'm going to go across and do this. Because I just feel there have just been so many stories. There have been too many stories that really kind of say they don't really know what they're signing up for.
1: Just recently, a 24-year-old man who came to Australia under the scheme was diagnosed with life-threatening cancer. But he can't access medical treatment because stopping work has meant he has no health insurance. His name is Famanu Famanatu.
3: You know where is the protections for people like Famanu? You know, I mean, that sort of stuff shouldn't happen. Um, these schemes are not. You know, these schemes are set up as part of a partnership. You know, but that's that's not a partnership, you know, as far as Pacific people
1: are concerned. Amanda says these programs need more regulation.
3: But, you know, obviously both here and, you know, in New Zealand and anywhere else they have these types of, of schemes because it's labour and it's cheap labour is really what it comes down to. The government has a lot to answer to um, in terms of the Pacific. Labour Scheme, but at the same time, it's you know you have people who actually need this work. You know they 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 need to be um, supported in this way to travel and be part of these labour schemes. But I think the protections need to really be there for instances like you know for Manu, who's now lying in hospital waiting for this you know this transplant, which you know, Australians absolutely would have been able to access, but because he is on a temporary worker-type visa, he's he's unable to access that. So that's just heart-wrenching. He's only 24 years old.
2: There has been some, a lot of negative attention on the seasonal workers' programme with regards to corrupt, corrupt and exploitative practices. And, you know, so this is people being underpaid or, like, ended up, you know, Pacific Islanders ended up in houses like, you know, bunking eight to a room and having to pay exorbitant rent for the for that luxury uh, and, 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 you know, other sorts of forms of exploitation from employers. This is not a problem with the seasonal workers program. This is a problem with the horticulture and agriculture industry of Australia. A lot of people employed in farms across Australia are employed through labour hire companies. In many states, these labour hire companies are unregulated so that, you know, it's just like the Wild West. They can do whatever they want. So you do need to have greater regulation over these labour hire companies. You also need to have an ombudsman, the federal ombudsman uh, given greater teeth, given greater resources to actually go and make sure that regulations are enforced down at the labour hire level, down at the farm level. The the government has recognised this, they have financed the ombudsman more, but there's more, more ways to go here to fix up this industry.
1: More and more Pacific Islanders seek work overseas for financial means or because of climate change, programs like the Pacific Labor Scheme will require regulation. Jonathan says there is also an opportunity to implement new pathways, such as humanitarian visas, for those displaced from disasters.
2: Prime Minister Scott Morrison calls the Pacific our family. And I think that that language really resonates with the Pacific, but also brings with it a lot of responsibility. And so, you know, we invest a lot in the region. We are a major tourism source. We are, our economies are intertwined. And, you know, there is a lot of ties to the region. But one area we've really been lacking is, is in uh, migration. You know, in times of crisis, people move, you know, it creates pressures within countries, but it can, is going to create more pressures in the region as people are forced to displace into another country. Uh, now, Australia can be proactive in mitigating these costs by, by implementing more permanent migration pathways from the Pacific, from these vulnerable communities into Australia ahead of this these displacement effects taking place.
1: An example of that is the Pacific Access Category Visa.
2: What we're advocating for is to have a, a more a less discriminatory migration category exclusively for the Pacific. So, you know, you, you, you strip off the skilled migration requirement. You can put in some other requirements. So, uh, you know, a minimum education requirement, a health check, a guarantee of employment in Australia. But the idea is that you have a scheme that anyone in these countries can apply for. You operate it on a lottery system, so it can't be captured by, you know, political elites or other corrupt officials. It, you know, it, so you just um, issue it on a lottery basis. And, um, and you allow people to migrate permanently to Australia. So that's it's a pretty basic, you know, basic concept. It's a scheme similar to
1: one already in place
2: in New Zealand. New Zealand has a more targeted migration, uh, permanent migration program with the Pacific that has been in place for, for decades. There are two schemes that one is exclusive to Samoa. That that allows about 500 Samoans into Australia, into New Zealand in any given year. Again, on these conditions of uh, you know employment and, um, and education, and then there's uh, about 1,250 slots open to Tuvalu, Valu Kiribati, Fiji, and Tonga to also come into New Zealand every, any year. But 1,750 doesn't sound like a heck of a lot of people, but when you extrapolate that over you know 30 30 years, these numbers do add up.
1: Extending labour schemes or improving current ones can contribute to the Australian economy.
2: Census data today uh, from 2016 shows that the the Pacific people who identify Pacific heritage and Pacific in Australia right now, the 250,000 of them, on average uh, earn more and are more gainfully employed than the average Australian. So these people perform, you know, they actually do do, um, they do well in the Australian economy Seasonal workers also have presented a major economic windfall for, for employers across regional and rural Australia. So I'd expect that trend to continue with permanent migration pathways open to, uh, to Pacific Islanders.
1: But migration is by no means the first choice for many Pacific Islanders.
3: I feel really privileged to live here, like I, I really do. But I made that choice. You know, that was a choice that was afforded to me. I was able to make that choice. You know, I think about my father, who currently, you know, he's in his late 60s. He is super fit and strong and an active member of his village and his community. He has no interests in leaving Samoa any time. Nobody wants to leave, you know, their homeland to because of, you know, climate change or because, you know, there's an offering of of uh, permanent residence in another country because there's jobs there. You know, I mean, our the Pacific people, their hearts are very, very grounded and rooted in their
1: ancestral homes. Mesulame recently moved out with one of his co-workers in Sydney. He says the community is supportive. But he misses Fiji.
0: There is something that we are so blessed with, to be able to reach out um, to the community uh, whom we have now called our families to uh, within our neighbourhoods that where we do live in. We are very close. Uh, It's just how we Fijians live. We live very openly. uh, We are very uh, warm-hearted people.
1: He speaks to his wife and two-month-year-old son every day.
0: So the main reason why we're strong in here is because our families back at home, they're very supportive. Uh, our wives and our children, they're really supportive of us um, being out here alone. That is pretty much just the power of working out every day is when you get to hear their voices or get to see their faces. Um, That really gives us power, the strength to be able to go again the next day and the next day and the day after.
1: Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SCR Radio, the University of Technology, Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julia Karkatzel. Thanks for your company.